The most essential truth of the Christian faith is that the God of the entire universe has spoken to us in his word and in his son. Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast, where we take that personally as we open our Bibles and dig deep into the life-giving, anxiety-crushing, identity-shaping truth of the scriptures. Whether you're busy washing dishes, working out, driving home from work, or carving out a rare moment to relax, I pray you'll find this podcast a source of refreshing, hope-filled Bible teaching that makes a difference in your life right now. Because wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're feeling, God's right there in the middle of it. So let's open our Bibles and find Him. Welcome back, friends. I am your host, April Swears, and I cannot believe that we are just one week away from wrapping up our God in the Psalm series. It has been so much fun walking through these Psalms together, searching for what they reveal about the character and ways of God. Well, my friend Brooke Angel is back to help ease us into the teaching segment. No good Bible study I've ever been to jumps right into the lesson. There's always some good coffee and conversation. And so that is how we like to kick off this podcast. So Brooke, I'm going to let you tell these fine people what Psalm we are walking through today, because I have a feeling it's a fan favorite. I think it will be a fan favorite. We will be going through Psalm 23. I love this Psalm. I do too. So good. So good. And one we all know. Yep. We've all heard it by a bajillion times. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and there's a reason. There is a reason. There's a reason it's loved. Uh, so in the spirit of Psalm 23, I want to know what comes to your mind when you think of rest and tranquility. Like, I want to know what makes Brooke Angel feel completely at ease. There is not a care in the world. <laughs> is there a certain place, an activity, an outfit? All of the above, what says rest to you? And I don't want... I don't want the spiritual answer yet. No spiritual answer. We can get yet. to yeah. that later. This is the fun. The fun. Part. Not that spiritual can't be fun, but this right. is just casual. Casual. Just you're yeah. gonna laugh at this answer. Okay. okay. And it just came to my head just now, so okay. it wasn't that hard. Me driving in my car by myself oh. with Starbucks, heading wherever I want, probably Target. Okay. That just brings me so much peace. Wow. So are you, are you listening to something? You know, what's funny is I never have the radio on anymore ever, whether it, I'm driving with Monroe or I'm by myself. I think it's just habit when I'm by myself, yeah. not to turn it on. Cause usually if I'm with her, we'll play like maybe her songs on my phone uh -huh. or I'm just talking to her. Sometimes she's watching a movie. So, and then I get in the car by myself and I think I just crave the silence. Yeah. I just don't even yep. turn the radio on and just being in that silence is so restful to me for some reason. I love that. <laughs> I drive with the, with silence all the time. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I think it's awesome. I never I, used to. I always had to turn the radio okay. on second I got in the car, but now that I have a kid, if I can get 10 minutes of silence yeah. driving, then I'm going to get it. I'm totally digging that. And that's such an easy, I don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like me finding rest is driving in my car by myself <laughs> with Starbucks. That seems like yeah, a very that's important, a key ingredient. Yeah, very that is addition. that is yeah, that makes it a, a treat. <laughs> what about you? All right. Um, 
Okay, so this is going to sound a little funny. The first thing that comes to mind is elastic waistbands. <laughs> like, Comfy. there can be no buttons or zippers or high-waisted jeans. Now, now Ugh. I am I don't want to bash those. I am thankful Cause I'm wearing for the higher right rise. So you cannot bash them. Well, and I, I, I don't know. You were, like, super young. When, like, the low-rise trend. Yes, I wasn't. Yeah. That was very unfortunate. Like, yes, no. bending over was so stressful. <laughs> and you're like, this is just not... So I'm, if I had to choose, I'm team high rise yeah, all the way. Yeah, for sure. But man, after a while, those things just cut in. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just Especially like. Especially if you're like Ooh. out to dinner. Yes. Eating a big yes. meal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I can get down with that. So yeah. some kind of stretchy pants, leggings yeah. or joggers or yeah. pajama pants, something like that. Yeah, So sure. that would be definitely says rest to me. Yeah. Um, no small children, even though I love <laughs> children, like children are I know. wonderful, but small children and rest or they peace or quiet diametrically opposed. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, another. they don't mesh at all. <laughs> and so. I do have, I think I have a legitimate like sensory issue with sound. <laughs> Yeah. So like I can't even, I'm not one of those people that can study at a Starbucks right, because they right. have the song playing yes. or I, I just, and especially when there's multiple voices going on, which if you have right. kids, they're all talking well, at the same yeah. time. They're or their all, videos are playing or their yeah. games are going off. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have dear friends that have a lot of kids. I'll go visit and like, yeah. I'm doing breathing exercises on the way home. Like it's genuinely <laughs> very, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah I don't rough. struggle with that. Like noise does not bother me, but yeah. I've worked on that over yeah. the years. Like I've gotten better with that, but I, yeah. I yeah. feel that. So no small children. <laughs> I think maybe the ultimate rest for me would be a hike, like a really beautiful hike. Yeah. Especially you, when you, I can see how yeah, you would like that. You get to the end, like a hike where there's, there's some a kind view. of lookout. Yeah. yeah. There's a view that you're aiming for. Yes. You finally get up there and you're just like basking yeah. in the beauty of it all. You're breathing the mountain air. <laughs> um, <laughs> Greg and I were on a hike. Where were we? I was in Georgia last year or something. We were up there and we were having this moment, you know, the kids yeah. were there too. Um, but then some guy gets up there with his dog. Dog poops like right next to us. <laughs> like, dude. Ruins the moment. This is my moment. Ruins the moment. And That's... I have smelly dog poop. So anyway. Well, Matthew and I are not outdoorsy people at all. Mm -hmm. And when we lived in Oklahoma, we tried you because... Tried. That's like an outdoorsy place. Okay. There's hikes everywhere, lakes everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's really popular to be outside. And we tried uh -huh. once to go on a hike. We're like, we're going to do this. We're going to go to this really popular place. And we get like, I don't even know, maybe five minutes into the trail. And we start being chased by, I don't know what they were, something large that was flying and buzzing that you know me that I don't do well with that. Yeah. I've been on a FaceTime with you when a flying thing has come at me. <laughs> And so we booked it, man, like trying to run like down the trail away from them. It just uh -huh. wouldn't, they wouldn't leave us alone. And so we turned around running. Matthew's like swatting his shirt at them. And that, it, that just Done. describes why we'll, yeah. Not that's restful just, mm -hmm. at all. No, no, not at all. I was sweating buckets. Matthew had bites on his back. Oh my god! It was terrible. So being outdoors is not restful for Got me. Got it. Okay. Ow. But that's you do why you dig the elastic service. waistbands, though? I do. Okay. I do agree with that, right. for sure. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. first thing I do when I get home from somewhere is change into the comfy, comfy clothes. clothes. Yeah. yeah. Some people sure. can live in their jeans, like, all day. Yeah. And I love jeans, but when I'm home, I want to be comfy. Same. All the way. Second, I, second, I can't yeah. be productive in jeans. I'm like, I can't clean my house. I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> exactly. I, I know. Wearing, yeah. <laughs> elastic waistband. <laughs> 
man, that's really funny. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so how do you feel then about teaching this really well-known passage? Oh, that's a good question. Um, It's harder. It's harder. Yeah. You know, familiarity is a funny thing. Like, in certain passages that we've heard so many times. It right. can kind of become like biblical white noise. Oh yeah, for sure. Where I mean, my, my grandparents lived next to um, railroad tracks and I remember going to visit them and it, that train would wake me up every night. Yeah. And I tell my grandma that and she'd be like, what You train? don't even hear it. Yeah. And, you know, they don't hear it at all. It's just like completely blends into the yeah. background for them. And um, you know, the same thing can happen with, with passages and it's easy to approach a passage like this and kind of not honor the learning process yeah. because you assume you know it. So like right, right. you open, you bust out, you know, let's say something really complicated, like Romans 9, mm-hmm. 10 or 11. Like mm-hmm. take any of those, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's really kind of hard, hard right, passages. Right. And, you know, it's just very natural, very normal. Of course you're going to bust out a whole bunch of commentaries. To approach it in yeah, that way. You're yeah, you're going to really dig mm-hmm. in because you, you're aware of how much you don't know. Right. Um, but with a passage like Psalm 23, I found myself even in preparing for this lesson, like thinking, oh, I can kind of shortcut yeah, that. I don't yeah. need to, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it just seemed very simple yeah. and I've heard it a million times mm-hmm. and that's not always a good thing. No. Like, and I, I don't know. I almost think like the simplicity of some passages, like, I don't like, we don't do them justice. Right. You know, we don't do the passage justice when we just think that it's something that we know yeah, or we're so familiar with. And it's like, there's so much more in that passage. If you just dig a little bit deeper, there you is. know? Um, and I think that's why that makes this series or this episode of the series so exciting because it's, it is a familiar passage, but we're going to dig deeper than maybe some people have done right. in reading this chapter. So yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm excited. I like, I have mixed feelings about teaching the familiar passages. Because yeah. one, it's like, my, my pride says, like, oh, bummer. Teach, I'm not going to, like, <laughs> teach the hard ones. I'm not going <laughs> to be able to, like, impress them with any, you know, things. But then, you know, yeah. the Lord convicts me of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I start to study. Come on, April. Come and on. I realize that, you know, and the crazy thing, even if it's a familiar truth, you know, it hits us in different seasons in different ways. Yeah. Too, oh, yeah, so. for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I would answer that. Yeah, I like I that. Guess. Uh, what's your favorite part of the psalm? Uh, I feel like this, that's a hard question, especially it when is. you are familiar with this uh-huh. passage because it's just so, I don't know, so, so good. Um, but we talked about this in previous episodes, how I'm like a visual, very mm-hmm. visual person. And I just love the visual of the Lord leading us yeah. beside the still waters. Um, and, you know, it. It says, he leads me to rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Um, and, you know, that's like the Lord intentionally taking us somewhere. Yeah. You know, you don't lead someone haphazardly, you right. know. So that visual of the Lord intentionally taking us to a place of rest, um, very purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a plan behind it. I just love that visual. Yeah. Like he knows that we need that rest, so he's leading us there for a reason. Yeah. So I love good. that. What I about you? That. Um, I think for me, and we'll talk about this more in the teaching segment, there's a shift in the metaphor a little bit between verses four and five. Um, so you have like the, the shepherd leading the sheep, you know, David Mm -hmm. is seeing himself as a sheep. And then all of a sudden there's this table that's being set. Right. And I think as tender and beautiful and magnificent as the shepherd metaphor is, and I love it. It's probably my favorite metaphor Mm -hmm. for, um, for God throughout 
all yeah. of scripture. And of course, then you get to the gospels and Jesus is yeah. the good shepherd. It's just beautiful. It is, yes. Uh, but there's still this like huge divide between a shepherd and a sheep, right? Like mm-hmm. one is a human, right? one is an animal. Right, right. So there's always going to be somewhat of a of a disconnect or a distance yeah. between between those two. And I think that's mm. why when, when David gets toward the end of the psalm, for him to really express his relationship with the Lord, like the metaphor has to change. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's not a shepherd leading a sheep. It, um, it's, it's God setting a table. Hmm. And sheep aren't invited to the table. Friends are invited to the table. Right. 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 And so it's like there's so much intimacy in the hmm. first few verses, but then it's like David can't, that metaphor can't hold yeah. The, yeah. the depth of friendship right. Right. and the depth of relationship. And so it has to shift a little bit mm. um, as you get toward the end of the psalm. And I I think that's beautiful one, but I'm starting to live that out a little bit more. You know, mm. I'm 40 now. <laughs> um, you know, so, so old and wise. The wisdom that you have <laughs> acquired in your 40 uh, years. But I'm, <laughs> I am... I'm able to reflect more now a little bit right on on that that shift yeah where yes God leads and he guides and he takes care of me like I'm a sheep mm-hmm. but he also invites me to the mm. table and that's he, good yeah that's you really know good. like and it's just it gets sweeter and sweeter you know well I so. think then like when you are able to go to that depth of your relationship with the Lord, it just changes so much, yeah. you know, it really changes your, your look on your relationship with him. Right. Um, so I, I do like that. I like that point yeah. for sure. And you know, I, this just came to mind. I haven't really <laughs> thought through it. So forgive me if it <laughs> if is dumb, <laughs> but I would think that one of the byproducts of sanctification and just growing in maturity would be that you're a little bit less like a dumb sheep. Mm. like and a yeah. little bit more yeah yeah um I don't know I'm trying to to convey here but like the relationship just changes no yeah bit. I see like, what you're getting at yeah you know especially when you're I think of like when you're a teenager student yeah like I don't know well I think of it like in the way that you can't you can't stay in that one place forever yeah. like when you meet Jesus you can't just stay where you were. Right. right so right. kind of like what you said, you can't just stay a dumb sheep forever. <laughs> like as weird as that sounds, or I don't know, as mean as that sounds like yeah. you can't just stay that way. Like God met us there, mm-hmm. but you know, he's calling us to grow and he's yeah. calling us to change. And so, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So I think you even hmm. see like maturity. Yeah, for a, sure. A little bit yeah, as, as definitely. the song progresses. Not that, you know, I mean, if I live till 90, I will still be having dumb <laughs> sheep moments for Just sure. Maybe not as <laughs> Maybe not as many. Because <laughs> I look back on some years, I'm like, oh my word, he was like truly dragging me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we are going sure. to the green pastures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't You're want like to. like kicking and screaming. Right. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, where are you setting the table? That's yeah. where I want to go. Like yeah. I have learned enough to know. Right. Like, I don't want to be anywhere else. Almost like you learn like the Lord leads you in certain seasons of life. And then you learn to just like follow. Yeah. Like he's not necessarily dragging you there. Like you said, right. You're, you're intentionally and willingly following him. Cause you know, what's going to be there. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you know, by heart that he's so good. Yeah. And you can trust that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that takes time. It takes yeah. time. So anyway, well, That's I good. think we're ready to dig in. I think we're ready. Let's go. All right.
If David had released a greatest hits album, Psalm 23 would most definitely be on it. Believers and unbelievers alike recognize and love this psalm. You'll find it on all sorts of wall decor and coffee mugs. It's been read at every funeral I've ever attended. I'm pretty sure the majority of you can quote at least a portion of it by heart. I'm also confident that a good number of you have heard at least a dozen sermons on this passage. So let me go ahead and establish appropriate expectations by telling you that I have no mind-blowing insights or revelations for you today. This is not going to be one of those days when you walk away knowing a whole bunch of things you didn't already know when you hit that play button. The purpose of this episode is to remind you of what you probably already know, but in the craziness of life may have forgotten, that the Lord is your shepherd, and that as your shepherd, he will graciously supply every real need. That's our main idea today. And this is exactly what we see in verse one of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Now, the psalm begins with a powerful juxtaposition. Two things that don't seem to go together are placed side by side. The Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal God of the universe is juxtaposed with the image of a shepherd. Not the shepherd or a shepherd or our shepherd, but my shepherd. High and exalted and yet personal and accessible. And we've seen this juxtaposition before. Do you remember when we studied Psalm 139? It was full of magnificent aspects of God's glorious nature. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, sovereign, infinite, holy, But how does that psalm begin? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Our main idea that week, I think it was the second episode, was that God is both infinitely glorious and intensely personal. And that's exactly what we see again right here in Psalm 23. When you take these two names, Yahweh and shepherd, and you connect them with the word my, what you get is the rock solid assurance that not only is God able to supply every need you have, he actually wants to supply every need you have. My devotional recently was titled, God Rejoices to Do You Good. The text was Jeremiah 32, 40 and 41, which reads, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing them good. What makes the heart of Almighty God happy is doing good for his kids. And that reality is the foundation for every single word of Psalm 23. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or CSB reads, I have what I need. So back to our main idea. As your shepherd... God will graciously supply every real need. Now, I want to focus for a second on the word real. And let me illustrate why I chose to insert that word. 
It takes a fair amount of time to research and write these lessons and even more time to produce the episodes. So in my mind, I desperately need our amazing babysitter to come on the days she's scheduled to come so that I can get these episodes ready. Last week was a particularly stressful week, so I was even more dependent than usual on the childcare. That Tuesday, on the second she arrived, I was going to head to my office and grind out a very ambitious to-do list. Well, around 8 o'clock in the morning, I get a text that she's in a lot of pain and heading to the doctor. I have to say, in that moment, I did not feel as though I had no lack. I was freaking out, you guys. God chose not to supply all of my perceived needs that day. And here's the hard lesson that I'm constantly learning in my walk with the Lord. My perceived needs are not always the same as my real needs. From God's perspective, there was value in my struggle that day. I still don't necessarily see it or feel it. I don't have some great story about how that day turned out amazing. It didn't. And that's a small example. There's much bigger, much more painful areas of perceived need in my life right now. On a macro level, a babysitter not showing up is the least of my concerns. But here's what I'm getting at with that story. When David declares in verse 1 that he has no lack, he is not saying that every desire is met or that every longing is fulfilled. He's saying that he lacks nothing that his shepherd knows he needs. It's the same principle we saw back when we studied Psalm 84, verse 11. It reads this way, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It's in that tension between what we think is good and what God knows is good that our faith can really grow because that's where we are forced to trust him. Now, the rest of Psalm 23 fills out that first verse. What exactly is it that God as my shepherd can be counted on to supply? What needs does he fulfill? Babysitters always showing up when you need them is obviously not on that list. So let's take a look at what is. The first thing we see is that God supplies nourishment. We see this in verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. This is the part of the psalm that we love to picture in our minds, or at least I do. It's a beautiful image of peace and tranquility, and that's what's intended. Here in this picturesque setting, the shepherd makes sure that his sheep have food and water and get the rest that they need. The point David is making is that God does the same thing for us spiritually. He allows us to feast on the green pastures of his word. He supplies the quiet waters of his presence. He does this day after day after day. When Landon was a newborn, I was in that sleep-deprived zombie stage. My friend Lisa sent me a text that said, Even though you aren't getting the sleep you need, I'm praying that God will supply the rest that you need. I've never forgotten that. I was so struck by the paradox of that statement. It's so incredible to think that we can lack physical sleep and yet at the same time experience an all-sufficient supply of rest and nourishment for our souls. Psalm 23 is a reminder that in those times of struggle, God is there. He is enough. 
his grace will prove sufficient in our weakness. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, including our need for nourishment. Well, as we move on in the passage, we see that God also supplies restoration. We see this in the first part of verse 3. It says, he restores my soul. The word translated restore means to return or bring back. Many commentators believe that what David probably has in mind here is a cast down sheep, which is a sheep that is turned over on its back and can't get up by itself. The scene goes something like this. A heavier sheep will lie down in a comfortable little depression in the ground. Then it'll roll over on its side to stretch out and relax. But because the sheep is so large, the center of gravity shifts, putting the sheep flat on its back so that its legs are up in the air. If it's cool or cloudy, a sheep can survive like this for a few days. But if it's hot, a cast down sheep can die in a matter of hours. As it lies there struggling to get up, gases begin to build up in the rumen. As these expand, they can cut off blood circulation to the extremities of the body. In addition to this danger, cast down sheep are extremely vulnerable to predators. So any good shepherd will always be scanning his flock to see if any are missing. He's always ready to restore a cast down sheep. And he knows he has to act fast. I love Philip Keller's description of this process in his classic, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. I want to read you a little excerpt. Again and again, I would spend hours searching for a single sheep that was missing. Then more often than not, I would see it at a distance, down on its back, lying helpless. At once, I would start to run toward it, hurrying as fast as I could, for every minute was crucial. As soon as I reached the cast ewe, my first impulse was to pick it up. Tenderly, I would roll the sheep over on its side. This would relieve the pressure of gases in the rumen. If she had been down for long, I would have to lift her onto her feet. Then, straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her up, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation to her legs. This often took quite a little time. When the sheep started to walk again, she often just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed into a heap once more. But little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away to rejoin the others, set free from its fears and frustrations, given another chance to live a little longer. All of this pageantry is conveyed to my heart and mind when I repeat the simple statement, He restores my soul. There's something intensely personal, intensely tender, intensely endearing, yet intensely fraught with danger in the picture. On the one hand, there's the sheep so helpless, so utterly immobilized, though otherwise strong, healthy, and flourishing. While on the other hand, there's the attentive owner, quick and ready to come to its rescue, ever patient and tender and helpful. End quote. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? Oh my goodness, I love it so much. Well, there's a line of an old hymn that says, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Now, the principle that over time, the relationship gets sweeter is true. But in my experience, at least on a micro level, every day is not necessarily sweeter than the day before. Some days just aren't good. Some days are terrible. Some days I find what I think is a nice, comfortable spot, and before I know it, I'm cast down, flat on my back. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's circumstances beyond my control. 
the reason why we have words like restore, refresh, revive, sprinkled all throughout God's word, and particularly in the Psalms, is because God knows that every day with Jesus is not sweeter than the day before. He knows that we need our shepherd to intervene. We need him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In the midst of anxiety, depression, health issues, financial hardship, family challenges, battles with sin, all the trials that threaten our faith and our joy, we need him to restore our cast down souls. And he delights to do it. And guess what sheep are the most vulnerable to being cast down? It's the mamas, the ones who are pregnant with baby lambs. Now, David definitely doesn't intend to make this connection. But when I read that, I could not help but think about how motherhood has made me so much more vulnerable to being cast down. I don't remember being so fragile before I had kids. I definitely wasn't so tired. Part of the reason parenting is so sanctifying is because it forces us to acknowledge our profound weakness every single day. And through it all, in the midst of every bad mommy day, every failure, every bout of depression, every hour of loneliness, every brick wall of sheer exhaustion that even a triple shot latte from Starbucks cannot fix, my testimony remains the same. He restores my soul. He picks me up, he holds me close, he cleans me off, and he helps me walk again. I know there are some cast down mamas right now. Your shepherd loves you so much. He sees you, he cares, and even if you don't quite feel it, I promise he's working, he's rescuing. He is restoring your soul. Well, as we move on into the second part of verse three, we see that God also supplies guidance. It says, he guides me in paths of righteousness. An important thing to know about sheep is that they do not have a good sense of direction. And I can very much relate. I consider myself a fairly intelligent person. I made mostly A's in high school. I graduated magna cum laude from USF's College of Business. I have a master's degree. And yet, somehow... I cannot find my way out of a paper bag. A little over a year ago, a friend of mine hosted a wedding shower at our home. Now, Amy and I have had many in-depth conversations about the location of her home, and I have been to her home on multiple occasions. So I think to myself, I don't need the address. I don't need to use the GPS. Famous last words. I drove up and down the road. I thought her house was on at least six or seven times before I finally humbled myself and called my husband and asked him to look up the address. At this point, I'm thinking I just need the house number. Turns out I was on the wrong road. All that to say, I have zero sense of direction. Like, here's a tip. If we're ever together and you ask which way we should turn and I say right, you should most definitely turn left. So needless to say, any verses that talk about God's guidance, they just resonate with me in a really special way. When it comes to driving, thank goodness I have a GPS to get me around town. Life-changing. When it comes to life, thank goodness I have a shepherd to guide me on the right path. 
And the truth is, when it comes to the more important decisions of life, none of us has a very good sense of direction. And we need to know that about ourselves. That's why God has graciously given us his word, his spirit, and his church, that we might know his will and walk in it. Now take a look at that phrase, for his name's sake. What this means is that God has bound up his glory and his honor and his reputation in his name in faithfully providing guidance for you and for me. Let me put it another way for you. He is as committed to our good as he is to his own glory. And just in case you've missed it, he is like really, really committed to the glory of his name. That's an awesome guarantee. So far, we've learned that God supplies nourishment, restoration, and guidance. Well, as we move into verse four, we see that God also supplies peace in the dark valleys of life. Now, there's a scene change here, and it's really important that we notice. It says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, so I want to make a few observations about this verse. Number one, you're probably most familiar with the translation, valley of the shadow of death. More literally, it translates valley of deep darkness. So what David has in mind includes, but is not limited to life-threatening situations. The psalm is often read at funerals, and it should be. But we need to know there's a broader range of difficult life experiences included in this valley metaphor. Second observation, notice the change from he to you in verse four. So David goes from talking about God to talking to him. And this is really significant. It reflects the fact that there is an intimacy with God that is unique to the dark valleys of life. It's not that he can't be known in the green pastures. He definitely can. But the crises of life reveal dimensions of his character and his care that easier seasons just don't. The valleys bring us to the end of ourselves. They reveal how dependent we are. They expose our weaknesses. And in doing so, they also expose God's perfect sufficiency. I remember going to jewelry stores with Greg when we were dating to scope out the diamonds. Every single time, the same thing happened. The salesperson never set the diamonds directly on the counter. There was always a dark velvet backdrop set out first, and then the diamonds were put on top of that. That backdrop, combined with the lighting of the store, allowed us to really behold the brilliance of each stone. That's what the dark valley does to the brilliance of God's goodness and faithfulness. There's an intimacy with God that is unique to the dark valleys of life. Third observation, these valleys are set along the paths of righteousness. This isn't a detour. This isn't, oh no, we accidentally took a wrong turn. And so we're in this dark valley and, you know, God must not even know we're here. No, no. In his wisdom, God will guide us to hard places. Of course, the logical question is, why? Why in the world would he do that? Well, he guides us to hard places to get us somewhere better. A few years ago, I visited a friend in Washington State, and I went on my very first real hike. Now, it was rated as easy to moderate on the hiking app, 
But it was a few miles up the side of a mountain. There were lots of switchbacks. It was a steady incline. So as a newbie to the hiking scene, it was a challenge. I remember on the way up thinking, I'm not sure I ever want to do this again. It might be a one and done kind of thing for me. I needed that t-shirt that says indoorsy. (laughs) And then we got to the top. And oh my word, you guys, the view was incredible. And all of a sudden it made so much sense to me why people hike. And since that experience, it's all I want to do. I daydream about national parks and trails and outdoor adventures. I don't even recognize myself anymore. Notice the verse says, even though I walk through the valley. You know, this isn't a place we build a house. The dark valley is a pathway. It's, it's a path to higher ground, the higher ground of deeper intimacy with Jesus, the higher ground of spiritual maturity, the higher ground of steadfast faith, the higher ground of newfound ministry. And here's the point. Right paths can be hard paths. And when they are, we can trust that the shepherd knows what he's doing. Fourth observation, we never enter the valley alone. Do you see that? God is with us. He's comforting us with his rod and his staff. Now, the rod is an image of authority and protection. It's the shepherd's main tool of defense. The staff was used for directing the sheep in the right way, pulling any stray sheep back into the fold. It symbolizes the wise control of the shepherd over his flock. These images of the rod and the staff show us that God is present in the valley. And not only is he there, it's not like he's standing over to the side watching us struggle. He is actively defending us, guiding us, restraining us, drawing us close to his side. Now, I remember the first time we took Landon to Disney's Animal Kingdom, and he saw the It's a Bug's Life show. It's one of those shows where you wear those 3D glasses that make it look like all sorts of things are flying at you. He was four at the time. Lots of kids younger than him in there, so I'm thinking he's really going to enjoy this. No, 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 no. He did not. (laughs) He did not enjoy it. The images of bugs flying out of the screen toward his face, scared him to death. And as he is freaking out, I lean over and say over and over, Landon, just take off the glasses. Take off your glasses. No, I don't want to take off the glasses. Landon, it won't be so scary if you take off the glasses. But they're my glasses. And we go back and forth for a while like that. Finally, he takes them off, crawls up in my lap, and suddenly... He's not so scared anymore. The bugs stay in the screen like they're supposed to. You know, when we find ourselves in these dark valleys, we always have the option of putting on the 3D glasses, of doing things that enhance our fears. We can get in our own heads and stay there. We can fixate on everything that's going wrong. We can pay too much attention to what other people think. Or we can Google it. It's always so encouraging, right? Definitely not. All of a sudden, it starts to look like everything is coming at you. Well, David shows us a better way. He chose to see the valley through a much different lens. 
the lens of who God is and what he's promised, the lens of almighty God as his shepherd. And the result is this amazing statement of faith in the middle of verse four. I will fear no evil for you are with me. As we move into verse five, we see that God also supplies a feast and fellowship. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. All right, I'm about to state the obvious, but it is very important. Sheep don't eat at tables and they don't drink from cups. So the metaphor shifts here from shepherd to host. This is a picture of lavish hospitality. And notice that a table is prepared. So there's intentionality in that. It implies planning, forethought. We are not unexpected drop-in guests at the Lord's table. We are invited, anticipated, wanted. This is not a quick snack or something you might throw together on a busy Tuesday night. It's more like Thanksgiving dinner. What's pictured here is a feast. There are two additional marks of this hospitality mentioned. The first one is, you have anointed my head with oil. Now, in Bible times, this was a way of showing honor to guests. We see this in Luke 7.44. Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. So that was a way of welcoming, expressing how much you value your guest. In addition to anointing our heads with oil, he makes sure our cup is always full. So full that it overflows. This implies attentiveness, an eagerness to provide and refresh and satisfy And all this is provided in the presence of my enemies. Now, if you know anything about the life of David or are familiar with his other songs, then you know the guy had a lot of enemies. At one point, his own son wanted to kill him. Now, because of this, you might expect him to paint a picture of a battle, of the rod being used to strike down the enemies. Let's just get them out of the way. But instead... He gives us this picture of feasting and fellowship while the enemies look on. Our priority in the hard seasons is relief. Just make the enemies go away, please, and thank you, right? But God's priority in the hard seasons is relationship. Sometimes it's the presence of our enemies that draws us in and keeps us at the Lord's table. Otherwise, we tend to roam. We have a tendency to love the grass more than the giver. When things are easy, we forget how much we need him. Are you in a dark valley right now? Are you threatened by enemies? Look for the table. Look for the table of God's presence, the table of his intimacy, the table of his friendship. It makes all the difference in the world. As we get to the end of the psalm, we see that God also supplies assurance. The first part of verse 6 reads this way, Surely goodness and faithful love will pursue me 
all the days of my life. Now, chances are the translation you're familiar with says follow. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but what comes to mind when I think of the word follow is a lagging behind. Like there's a gap. If someone's following you, there's a gap between you and them. But that's not the kind of following that's intended here. The word translated follow means to chase, to pursue, to be hounded. The intention is to close all gaps. David sees himself as being hotly pursued and overrun by the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord. Not just once, not just twice, but all the days of his life. Do you remember the word hesed from Psalm 103? Well, that's the same word used here. And do you remember our definition for hesed? When a person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. At any given moment, on your best days and on your worst days, your shepherd is chasing you down with that kind of love. The whole chapter ends with these words, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you sense his confidence? David wholeheartedly believes that God will make good on every promise, both present and eternal. You know, a lot of things in life are uncertain, like so many things, but God's faithfulness is not one of them. Listen, your current situation is not the exception. I bet it feels like it. I bet you're tempted to think he doesn't see you or that he doesn't care, but we have every reason to be confident that he does. If there's any doubt in your mind about God's faithful love toward you, listen to the words of Jesus in John 10. I'm going to start in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Skipping down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So how can we know for sure that we will be with the Lord, our shepherd, for all eternity? I mean, we're talking about us, like sinners, wicked, rebellious, selfish, a bunch of dumb sheep. How can we know that we will dwell in God's house forever? We can have that confidence because Christ, the good shepherd, has laid down his life for us. He died on the cross in our place. He laid down his life and picked it right back up again, conquering sin and the grave once and for all. He did it so that by believing in him, our sins can be forgiven and we can have the assurance of abundant and eternal life. It is because of Jesus' sacrificial love that you and I can say in 
any circumstance with absolute confidence. Surely, surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, that's it for this episode. Man, I am just so thankful that we get to enjoy these passages together. Thank you so much for showing up each week and for sharing these podcasts with friends and family. It's so exciting to watch the audience grow slowly but surely. And I know that has a lot to do with you and your willingness to keep spreading the word. So keep it up. It's working. Thank you so much. Don't forget that there is a digital study guide that goes along with this series that you can purchase at hergodspeaks.com. I can't wait to meet you right back here next week for our last episode in this series. Can you even believe it? We've come to the end. It's a little bit sad. but We'll be walking through Psalm 37 together. It's going to be so good. Well, until then, may our shepherd who faithfully pursues us with his extravagant love be big in your life this week.